I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 9. And as Mike prayed, yes, the very thing that we just prayed over these three and also for Chris and Sarah who aren't here but are in our prayers is the very focus of our message this week and next week. We've titled the series Now Hiring. Workers are needed. This is a sign that depending on where you're at in your life situation is a very encouraging sign when you see that someone is hiring. But in our day and age, in our current job situations, this has become more and more relevant for each and every one of us that if we're currently employed, many of us feel less secure about our own employment. And while we haven't been given the pink slip yet, maybe we've had to think about that very real possibility. What would we do if we were in a situation of now looking for a job? Or some of us have found ourselves um, on the opposite end of that, where we are looking right now and we're, we've made phone calls and we've sent out resumes and we've filled out applications and we're looking for work, hoping to get into somewhere. And some of you are fortunate enough that your working years are, are behind you and, and you maybe aren't um, as concerned about where you'll be employed, but you're looking at your kids and your grandkids and wondering what will await them, hoping that opportunities will be available for them. In God's kingdom, he made very clear that he is always looking for workers, for full-time workers who are willing to engage in his mission. And as we turn to Matthew chapter 9, we'll see how Christ himself, while he was on this earth, encouraged his disciples to pray to the Lord for more workers. So wherever we find ourselves in our own physical professions, whether we're students still learning a trade or whether we are practicing that which we've learned, God has for each and every one of us a job to do. And unfortunately, it seems an increasing trend that evangelism has become a subject relegated to a few people within the church. Now, there's letters in the New Testament that talk about the gift of being an evangelist and being qualified particularly to share your faith with other people, but evangelism is the work of the whole church. Each and every believer is called to pass on the message that they have received in Christ. And so it is not the work of just a few within the church, but it is the work of the whole church. Now, God is able to use our different skills and abilities and training and talents to do that work in a variety of ways, but the work remains the same, that God desires for each and every one of his children to be involved in spreading his message. Let's turn now to the end of Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, to see how God calls each and every one of us to engage this service. Beginning in verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers 
are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So here we have Jesus first going about the ministry himself throughout all the cities and villages, teaching and proclaiming the gospel and healing every disease, but then addressing his disciples and telling them specifically to pray for something. That there are more people in need of the gospel than there are workers in the gospel to provide what they need. The harvest is plentiful. What we need to pray for is that the Lord would send out laborers. Now we will consider these short few verses in two parts this week and next. We're calling the, the message today and next week, it's a part one and part two, proclaiming Christ in a Christ-like way. Christ is not only the message that we proclaim, but also the example that we follow in proclaiming the message. Christ is not only the message that we proclaim, but he is the example that we follow in how to proclaim that message. Some people believe that if we're sharing Christ with others, so our message is Jesus Christ, then our method of sharing him is sort of irrelevant. That we can use whatever method we want to share the message of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't work that way because our message is intrinsically connected to the method that we use. Because our message is a message of the life-transforming power of Jesus in our hearts. So it is hard to pass on the message that Jesus can change our lives when our lives are not changed by Jesus. It is hard to pass on the message that Jesus gives us hope for the future when we are not people with any discernible hope in the future. It is hard to pass on the message that Jesus is willing to transcend every human barrier that we know when we ourselves are not willing to transcend any current boundaries or barriers that we have in place to share the message. And so when we come to the scriptures, we not only come to learn who Jesus is and therefore what it is that we are to tell people about him, But we come to the scriptures to say, show us how to do that as well. Because we might mess that part up so much that they never actually pay attention to the message that we're trying to share. So we need not only to learn what the message is, but how to share that message. And so in these verses, we see a great example of sort of the where, the how, and the why of the proclaiming of the gospel, we get to look into the life of Jesus and ask, how did Jesus go around spreading the gospel? And if we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, the one in whom no sin dwelt, then does he not set an example that we would want to follow? 
before we read about any contemporary strategy of how churches are doing evangelism, wouldn't we want to go to God himself in the flesh, spreading the gospel, and ask ourselves, how did he do it? And in these verses, we find great wisdom and help in time of need when we ask that question. We get to look in and see how Jesus himself went about spreading his message. So if you are taking notes, we'll start with the where and then the how and then the why. The where. Where did Jesus go to spread his message? In verse 35, it says that he went throughout all cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus was willing to go anywhere and everywhere. He went into the urban areas and the rural areas. He went to the rich and to the poor. But he went, it says, according to Matthew, throughout all the cities and villages. Not just one particular area and saying, this is my post, this is the only place where the gospel is relevant, but he went to multiple areas as much as his physical body could travel to proclaim the message in a variety of settings. And in those settings, you encounter a variety of people. You're going to encounter different people in an urban setting where there's lots of trade and traffic from different parts of the world than you will in a small village where everybody knows everybody else's name. But Jesus was willing to go to both places, willing to allow his ministry to impact any and every part geographically that he could touch. And we are to be available as well to do the very same thing, to cross whatever boundary that we currently find ourselves in to reach out to another. If we're urban dwellers and love the city streets and the lights, and could never consider going to a small town where you don't necessarily tell people how to get somewhere by routes and ways, but by buildings, and oh, it's right past the barn there, and that's where you turn left, and very local language where you have to know the town in order to know how to get around the town. And some of us who sort of like the comforts of being secluded, we don't like the rush or the busyness of cities, we don't like people sort of intruding in our lives, we don't like hearing what music our neighbors are listening to or something like that. We like the seclusion that we might experience in the suburbs or the rural areas. Are we willing, if called, to go and spread the message into an area that we do not reside, where we are not comfortable? But Jesus was mobile. He was willing to move around, willing to adapt and to adjust to the places that were around him because the message that he had was for people everywhere. And so his method had to incorporate all those different areas. And so we see where he went. He went to all the cities and the villages. Then we also see how he ministered. He ministered to the intellect. He ministered to the heart. And he ministered to the mind. It says that he taught in their synagogues. He sought to engage people where they were at, already having conversations about God and life. And he joined in those conversations and engaged them right where they were at. He went to where they were, already having those conversations, and joined in to share his message, and in so doing, he reached out to the mind, and he also 
proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, something that would have appealed to the heart of each and every person that he was talking, especially to those who were of his similar line, who were Jews, and hoping for the kingdom to come, hoping for freedom to be experienced. And so he proclaimed to their hearts the good news of something coming, something new happening And then it says that he also addressed their bodies. He healed every disease and every affliction. The whole gospel for the whole person, for the mind, body, and soul. Jesus was willing to address all of those things. And sometimes we'll hear people tell us that in our evangelism, if we're true evangelists, we'll neglect two of those to focus on one. We'll say, we don't really care that much about your body. We don't really care that much about your mind. We care about your soul. And so we're just going to grab for the heart. And if we can move you emotionally in a time of change that you're going through to accept a message, that's our strategy. But if we also try to feed you, if we also try to get you quality health care, if we also try to, to minister and educate you and increase your level of reading, others would look at that and say, why are we wasting our time doing that? That's not evangelism. But Jesus had a message for the whole person. It was for all people and it was for all of us as individual people, if that makes sense. He's not interested in just ignoring our minds or ignoring our bodies, but he came willing to teach, willing to encourage the heart, and willing to address the afflictions that he saw as people suffered from diseases and a variety of issues that came up in their lives. And if we are to model our ministry not on what other people tell us we should be doing and what's most important, but following the example of Christ and what he did, we will take a holistic approach in our ministry as well. We will seek to engage people as they raise legitimate questions about life and faith and not look at them and say, that's a dumb question, or no, we're not going to talk about that. You're not even allowed to ask that question. But there's already conversations going on outside of here particularly Somewhere, somebody's in a coffee shop this morning talking about God and life and faith. Where you and I don't have to bring up the subject. The subject is there. We have to ask ourselves if we're putting ourselves in a position that when the subject is raised, we'll have some kind of an opportunity to speak into it. But if we are never at the coffee shop next to the person having the conversation, we won't be there. If we're never willing to receive the invitation of somebody else to go over to their house or to hear their presentation, then we won't be there to engage their conversation. If the only terms in which we are willing to express our faith is when we, if you will, have home court advantage, and so we'll only do it when we can get them to come to us, We're doing a form of ministry that is different than what Christ did. He was the one willing to go, willing to be the minority, and willing to engage the conversation as it was going on outside of himself. He didn't have to sit around and say, how do we get people to talk about this? He knew they were talking about it. We're hardwired as human beings to ask questions about our life and our life's purpose. And whether or not anything we're doing right now will have any eternal significance. 
All of us ask those questions, whether we're Christians or not. And as people take the time to raise those questions, are we in a position connected to them through relationships, through our own presence, to engage them and speak into their conversation something that is uniquely Christian? But Jesus was willing to go to all the cities and villages. He was willing to engage all of the people. And then it tells us why he was willing to do this in verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We will never be able to engage ministry in a Christ-like way and method until we can see with Christ-like eyes and compassion. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do you see when you look at someone else? What is it that you see when you look on to a crowd of people? Do you immediately look at people and judge them by their outward appearance? If you see them driving a car that's nicer than yours, is your immediate thought, Oh, I wish I was driving that. Or, I wonder how they got that. Or, wow, they look nice today. Or, oh, if I could do this or that. Well, what do you see? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you kind of view yourself in a position as better than them or superior than them. And you look at them and you say, oh, that poor person. (laughs) Well, if, if only somebody could help them out in this way or that way. But when you look at them, you evaluate them in ways that are more consistent with the world standards than with the scriptures. You don't think necessarily, or I might not think necessarily, of the image of God in them. That yes, they might have a nice car, they might have a nice house, they might seem like they have it all together, but inside their life is falling apart. They're experiencing right now a level of loneliness that you and I could not fathom. Do we have eyes to see those kinds of things? To see past what you and I all put up as temporary masks to prevent people from immediately seeing into some of those things. They're always smiling. They're always saying they're doing fine. So if they say they're fine, we walk on. We don't think differently. But Jesus, as he looked upon the crowd, saw them as people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. All you have to do is stand in a grocery store line and look as you're checking out at all the magazines that are before you as you're waiting in line for the person in front of you and say, God help anybody who is influenced by this. God help anybody who's about to open this up and make life decisions based on this. We should be able to turn on almost any show and say the same thing. Pay attention to the commercials that are in between and just say, God, help anybody who was just sold on what they saw. But there's a message that is constantly going forth. 
It has a variety of, of methods of going out, but it's, it's getting into the lives of you and I and people that we know. And when we see the message and we see the false promises that are all around us, are we brokenhearted to say, oh, I hope nobody I know is buying into this. I hope they can see through this. It's false advertising all over the place, but so many of them are feeling harassed by it. They're being told constantly by others that they're not good enough, they're not pretty enough, they're not smart enough, they need to do this, they need to try that. If only they get this in their life, their life will be happy. And they're harassed. Some of them are helpless. They don't know that they're signing a a document that says something that they don't know exactly what it says and they can't think through what the ramifications of it will be three years from now. They're so focused on just what it means right now and the immediate gratification that might come. And do we look at them and say, oh no, please let me help you. Please let me spare you from doing something in the immediacy of a moment that will have ramification for years to come, but you just didn't read the fine print. But there's a reason why much of the fine print is in fine print. (laughs) There's a reason most of the Side effects are shared at the end of the advertisement and not at the beginning of the advertisement. You know, if they just put them up front, how much of the rest of it would you listen to? Let me tell you up front what this could do to you. And then let me put a pretty color in a pretty image and see if you are interested in it. Let me tell you how horrible this will make your life three years from now. And then I'll see if I can get you to sign on to it for the next three months with no interest. But they don't put it on the front end. They don't advertise it in a way that would allow certain people to make those kinds of decisions. Now we can look at each and every person around us and say, you're an individual, you're accountable for the decisions you make. And so we can also look at people and just say, hey, they've, they've set their life, they've made their choices, and now they have to deal with them. And our attitude demonstrates no compassion toward them. To say, yes, you might have made a mistake yesterday. You might have made a mistake two years ago. And right now, part of what you and I are dealing with is the consequences of those decisions. But when we look at one another, are are we glad that's happening? You know, are we looking at one another saying, yeah, I hope you get it. I hope you get everything that's coming to you. Or do we have the compassion of Christ that looks upon us, each and every one of us, as people that are being harassed and that are helpless, that are leaderless like sheep without a shepherd, and who instead of looking at us says, you know what, you just deserve it. You should have known better. But no, he doesn't say any of those things. He comes and with compassion, he desires to minister to them. But we cannot serve people in the way that Christ saw them if we do not see them in the way that he sees them. It is only when we look upon people with his eyes that we can then go backwards to the where and to the how and say, I guess I would be willing to go anywhere. 
because I'm seeing with Christ's eyes. I'm not looking at somebody who's culturally different than me, economically different than me, and judging them by worldly standards to say because of those differences we are supposed to be separate, we're supposed to be apart, but I look with the eyes of Christ and say, yes, you might be different than me, but none of those differences prevent me and only encourage me to wanting to share the message of God with you. Because I don't see you in the way that I used to see you. I don't look at you with my sinful eyes. I look at you with the eyes of Christ who now lives in me. And I don't see you as only part of you and only want to move your emotions. But I want to engage you in your mind, in your heart, and in your body. I want that you're whole into all of those areas. Because that's what God desires for you. And he demonstrated that through the ministry of his own son who was willing to go anywhere, willing to address every area of their lives because of the heart that he had within him. The compassion and the love that he had, which we've just learned in going through an Old Testament survey series for 11 parts focusing on God's love to a thousand generations and his love is best expressed not even in any of those stories but then in the, the ultimate story where he would send his own son to show that love through his own action, through his own willingness to endure suffering so that you and I could join and be a part of his work. And then he concludes, and this is where we'll focus the majority of our time next week, on the specific prayer that he asks the disciples to pray. But as Jesus looks with these eyes and sees people that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he sees that there will always be more work to do than workers who are willing to do it. And so he's looking for men and for women, for young and for old, who are desiring to be like him in spreading the message. Looking for people who can see with his eyes, desiring to spread his message. And so as we go through this, one way that God can challenge us can challenge each and every one of us is by going through these very same things, this where, this how, and this why, and then just ask ourselves as we go through it, where would I not be willing to go? See, many times we can approach the question of God's will and we look internally and we ask ourselves, what, are, what do we think we should do? What do we think we're gifted at? And therefore what we do is just kind of what we're always comfortable doing. I don't think that's usually the way in which God's will is worked out in our lives. I think often he challenges us to do things that we are uncomfortable doing because growth only happens as we are willing to do things that we haven't done before. Any of you who exercise regularly know if you do the same exact exercise every single time in the same amount of repetitions, you will eventually plateau and you will not be growing in your strength. You will not be growing in your speed. To do that, you need to stretch. You need to do what you haven't done before. And for us to grow in our spiritual lives, we need to think seriously, not about what we are comfortable doing, but, but 
to think about what we are uncomfortable doing, what we haven't tried before, or maybe we've tried, but we need to try it harder. We need to try it larger. We need to try it broader. And so as we look and see that Jesus was willing to go anywhere and everywhere, we need to ask ourselves, where would we not be willing to go? And to be honest about that. And then to pray about that. And ask ourselves, why would we not be willing to go there? And then as we look at the how of Jesus reaching out to the the whole person, some of us will say, oh, we love meeting the physical needs of the body. We'll put band-aids on somebody and cook dinners all day long. We just love doing that. What is part of it that you don't like? I just don't like talking to people. I don't like asking them questions. I don't like them asking questions of me. I don't, okay, that's fine. Just be honest about that. And then pray about that. Ask yourself and ask God, why is that the uncomfortable part? Or some of us are really comfortable talking to people. We find it hard to serve other people. I was just looking through a bunch of old I have very little things, tangible things from my childhood because we moved so often and every time you move you have to do an assessment of what you want to keep and what you don't want to keep because you have to look at something and say, do I really want to put this in a box and carry it? <laughs> and the more often you do it, the more you're like, I don't feel like carrying that. I'd let the, you know, the garbage man carry it somewhere, but I don't need to carry it again and again and again. This isn't that important. One of the few things that I have is my report card from... Copley Fairlong, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade. And my report card said basically the same thing in all of those grades. Good student, we need help with the talking. (laughs) Socializes too much, does his homework, but distracts other people. So I know I like talking. So if you ask me what would I like to do, it will be engaging people in conversation. It will be asking them questions and letting them ask me questions. And so where I need to challenge myself might be somewhere very different than you. Some of you would be terrified to speak in front of other people. And so you're nervous to do it. But I do believe that God is often calling us to do the things we are most uncomfortable doing, not the things that we are most comfortable doing. And then to do an assessment in the why Why would we serve in any ministry this way? And ask ourselves, do we what do we see when we see other people? When we look at them, and we can begin just even with ourselves, what do you see when you look into a mirror? Because if when you look at yourself, you think of yourself only in the categories that the world has assigned to you, whether you're employed or unemployed, married or not married, this or that. If that's the only way you can see yourself, you will apply that to everybody else. What do you see when you look into a mirror and when you look at other people? And as you go through that and as I go through that and then we're challenged by God to engage his mission and to realize that he is looking for full-time workers who will look in their own hearts, who will ask those tough questions, and who will follow him in the where, in the how, and the why of gospel ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you 
that you are not only the message that we have to proclaim. And oh, Father, what a message it is. And we look forward to, to delving into it more specifically, to hearing afresh of who you are and your love. What is the gospel that we have to share? But we pray that we would also look to you as the example to follow. That if any of our actions or our words that we use could not be thought to come from you, to not be consistent with your character, that we would challenge ourselves to not use them, but to act as you acted, to love as you love, to have compassion as you had compassion. And Father, we know that that flows from seeing as you see. And so we pray that you would give us your eyes. As we sang earlier, that you would give us clean hands and give us a pure heart. What we're asking is that you make us more like you. Father, we pray that you would not rest and be satisfied until we together, all of us are more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.